Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. The Autumn Nation series is underway and the first round of fixtures, well, they produced no surprises. A weakened Wales side were well beaten by the All Blacks and Scotland made light work of Tonga in their opening fixture. Both sides will be back at full strength this weekend and we will welcome the rest of the Northern Hemisphere sides for a full round of fixtures. England begin their campaign with a match against Tonga on Saturday afternoon and ahead of the game, there's been a bit of a distraction around the England camp after a story written in the Times claimed that the former defence coach, John Mitchell, left his role after a bust-up with Eddie Jones back in July. Jones has since defended his coaching style in a television interview and says this type of criticism is something he has dealt with throughout his career. We'll discuss what impact, if any, this story is likely to have on the camp ahead of the opening set of games. Uh, on the pitch, we are likely to see a number of new players, blooded by Jones, um, Leicester's fullback Freddie Stewart made his debut during the summer against the USA and has once again been called up by Jones for the up and coming set of fixtures. We'll be speaking to him about his recent run of form and how he intends to make the number 15 jersey his own over the next few weeks. We'll also be looking back at some of the other standout games this weekend. Wales will face another daunting task against the world champion South Africa, who are in town. And meanwhile, Scotland, they are hosting a resurgent Australia at Murrayfield and Ireland take on Japan in Dublin. We'll also reflect on a sensational win for England's women, who dispatched New Zealand in the first of their two tests, just days after it was confirmed that the government will provide £30 million of funding for their 2025 World Cup bid. Delighted to welcome back alongside me the former England and London Irish winger Topsy Ojo to discuss all this. Hello, mate. Hey, how's it going? Uh, a routine uh, win for the All Blacks over a, a weekend Wales. What, what, do you, what do you main take out of that game? Um, it was an interesting one. I mean, of course, you look at the Wales lineup, missing players. It's outside of the, the international window, so they were deprived of their premiership stars, their French stars and all that. Um, it was what the All Blacks do in terms of Wales were competitive enough, but you give them opportunities, they're best in the world at taking them. And there was a spell there whereby they just cut Wales apart. And once that happens... You start to chase the game a bit. You open up your plays into the All Blacks' hands. So the scoreline kind of blew out in the end. 
and you think, oh, does that reflect the game? It, it reflects the way the All Blacks are at the minute. You know, they have an ability. Well, it, was, to... it was just five minutes and three tries go over, that's and then all it. of a sudden you're quite close, and then you're not. That's it. That's it. And, and that's what they do very well. They, you know, they, they pick off on mistakes. You have a slight lull in concentration, performance, whatever it is, and they'll punish you. So business as usual for them. Wales will learn from it. A couple of players, you know, their first big experiences back in the Principality as well with full crowds. Bigger games to come. Uh, it's annoying, isn't it, that England aren't going to... We're not going to see England against them this month. And in fact, this is a recurring thing. You know, over the... Over the it's, it goes back about three decades. England have, have not played that much against, uh, uh, against New Zealand. They, they, they've played far more often against South Africa and Australia. And whilst those are great fixtures, you know, the, the All Blacks is a test that you, you should be having regularly and which would be beneficial, you know, however it goes. Yeah, it would have been brilliant to have had New Zealand as part of this autumn programme as well. Um, you know, you think back to some of the big games that they've had, especially in the autumn and Romani Tulangi go over, going over a couple of years ago. Just that atmosphere and the ability to test yourself against the All Blacks, who are, you know, always more often than not set the barometer for world performance. So, Well, it's funny you should say that. I mean, so little um, do, do they play them that those things seem to see, because that's 10 years ago. 2012, you know, when he ran... Is it that long ago? It is, yes, that's how long ago (laughs) it is. Borden Barrett uh, ran the show again. Uh, Should have had a yellow card, but with a draw veil over that. The 100th test. Um, I I remember speaking... We spoke to Sean Fitzpatrick uh, last week, and he said they're still not quite certain whether he's going to be 10 or 15. Um, What's your take? I have him at 10. I I think he's a brilliant 10, and maybe the issue they have is... Maybe where his form dipped slightly and Richie Moonga was so good, you've now got two equally high-quality 10s battling off for this spot. So you probably think, right, how do I get them both in the team? But he's a brilliant player. He's a brilliant fly half. I I have him at 10 every day of the week. I think, obviously, he can play 15, but you don't get the very best out of him at 15. Well, as for Wales, uh, look, he was always going to be hard, depleted side. I mean, it was... a. The fact that they couldn't have the depth off the bench, wasn't it? Because the, the side that they put out initially was a decent side, but you saw as the game you know went on, had they had all their players, you know the the, the test that they gave the All Blacks would have been much firmer. I mean, Alan Jones came off injured. A lot was being said about the teams beginning the World Cup cycle. Um, do you expect him still to be playing in twenty twenty three? I'm very wary of saying no, especially after what he did in the summer with the Lions. Um, it will get tougher. I think the injuries will take their toll. Um, but if anybody can do it, it is him. You know, we'll see the extent of the injury. He'll get scanned and then they'll reassess. Um, it does become tougher as you get older, you know, especially I mean, you, in the forwards. You, you, you're right about uh, what he will bring. The, these decisions are ones which coaches have to make. Because as a player, you'll point to your fitness scores and you say, I feel fine and one of you... It is only after you retire you think, actually, that last 18 months, I wasn't quite there. And you'll never admit it because you don't want to. No. Uh, and, and you can point to you know, positives like measurable tests and things like that. It takes a, it takes a very astute coach to say, thank you, you, you know, you've done enough. Uh, and at the time, these decisions are always unpopular. I, it's a, it, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a big question for Wales because if they do hang the hat on there and it goes wrong then obviously they won't have any time for replacements and they, you know, 
the time, if you are going to make that call, is now to give any sort of replacement, a replacement combination, at least 18 months of the run together. Yeah, that's it. I, I think, you know, fitness scores and strength scores are one thing, but I think you have to be in the environment to see, A, how he's performing, what he's doing in training and in games, and then for him, especially his influence in the group. If he's still having that hugely positive impact on the group as a whole and he merits his place on performance, then he stays in. Yeah. Uh, Scotland, a routine wing over Tonga. Uh, ten tries, which is good, uh, including four for Kyle Stain, first player to ever grab four at Murrayfield. Um, how much can we read into this? I suppose we, you'll have to wait till England play them and see the relative uh, performances. Um, it's one of these games where you know I think they did what they were asked to do. There's not a lot more... Um, you could do, but can we take much? Well, I think you nailed it there. You, you play what's in front of you, that classic phrase, and we knew Tonga were going to be depleted. We knew you know, this was a hit for Scotland to see where they are, to blood some new stars, and they did that. You know, They won comfortably. They played some expansive stuff. They know that they've got bigger games coming up, but in terms of this fixture, what they wanted out of it, in terms of scoreline and performance, they got what they wanted. So it's a good building block for them. They don't really... There weren't any questions that were left unanswered from the performance. You know, set piece was good. Strike plays were good. They scored a lot of tries. So it's a good place to build on for the coming weeks. I tell you what, let's chat about England. Uh, let's start with an interview that Eddie Jones gave to uh, BT uh, last night. He defended himself over a story which claimed he treated his players and staff poorly. It comes after claims that John Mitchell, former defence coach, left his role in July after Eddie allegedly barred him from leaving camp to watch his son play cricket for Middlesex. Now, on that particular thing, I think if you're contracted, the coach is entitled to say, you know, birth of your child or whatever, a different thing, son playing cricket for Middlesex? Uh, Look, it depends where in the cycle it was, what the preparation was and all sorts of other things as to the reasonableness of that. But just on first flush, I don't think that's a particularly um, a big argument to me. No, uh, you're right. I mean, yeah, context is always key. You know, important family moments, absolutely. You'd think, you know, that human element will come into it. You go and do what you need to do. Um, but ultimately, you are in charge. Your head is on the chopping block. You have to dictate standards and what happens and processes. Um, so, yeah, I think there's more layers to go to this. The, the worrying trend would be that if you look at the quality of coaches that have come in and out of the England setup, that is a worrying trend. You know, some have left of their own accord, but some have come in and out quite short termism, mm-hmm. and that's not a good look. And what you don't want is stories now leaking out because as much as, you know, things will continue, they'll get to this weekend and they'll play the autumn, this could become a problem, a real big problem going well, forward. Well, I've been, I've been stressing the, the fact when I've been writing about England, not only is a question of the players um, that have now been selected and the new formations and new units. But equally important is you've got a completely new coaching staff and it's up to them as well, you know, to, to gel and to, to, to get the best out of each other, not just the players. And there's a direct effect between both. So England are fighting on two fronts and they need to get it right on both fronts as well. Yeah, massively. And that actually extends to all the other staff as well, S&C, physios, if you feel like you're treading on eggshells and every day could be your last day in camp, it's not, it's not a healthy environment to be, to be part of. So, you know. How much do you think this 
has an effect, if any, you know, with, with the squad when they, they're reading and hearing about this sort of stuff? I think in their rooms they'll discuss it privately. You can't not. But in terms of training and playing, I think it will be business as usual. You know, the guys are in there in camp. They're excited for the autumn. You know, Twickenham, full house. They want to play well for England and they want to be part of this team going forward. So when it comes to that, I don't see anything changing too much. But when and they're the other, not on the pitch... The other aspect of it is it's not anything they can do about it, is yeah, it? Yeah, that's know, it. That's it. Ultimately, you know, there's a game coming up. They want to be part of it. They want to play for England. So that will be their focus. But... In their downtime, in their quiet moments, whether it be social media, newspapers, they will see these stories and some of them will resonate because, you know, people talk. You hear things in and out of camp all the time. And it's also the sort of thing which, depending on your point of view, pro or negative, with a head coach or any coach, it will probably just confirm or refute your, what your views are anyway. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there'll be a lot of people probably with similar stories thinking... Uh, yeah, I could probably yeah. add my tail to that as well. Well, look, the, the squad is um, largely what a lot of us, uh, and I include myself in this, wanted to see, a more, you know, a more uh, attacking-focused with uh, a lot of younger players in. I've always said, you know, the players like Billy Vinopola shouldn't be discarded because we know what they can do. They just have to be doing it on a regular basis. What do you make of the of the overall uh, squad when you when it was announced? Yeah. Overall, I like it. I'm happy with it. I'm happy with the balance. Um, you know, having seen the younger players come through in the summer and knowing what the more established players could do, this is the time now to try and put the two together and really see, can this England team go to the next level? You know, there was a big shift, I guess, probably a year ago, that Alternations Cup, you know, around, you know, defence and kicking, not much attack. That attack has started to evolve now. So then you look at the players being brought in, the younger players, Smith, Radwan, Quirk, etc. You think, right, these boys can play. So now let's see them play. Let's see them at a full house at Twickenham. The form that they've been showing in the Premiership throughout 2021, can they now translate that into a white shirt? The one thing that's been consistent with, with Jones and in this selection is the role that and the importance that he attaches to Owen Farrell. He named him straight away, named him as captain straight away, said about what he brings. He was the right man for the job, best man for the job. Um, assuming that Farrell obviously is going to start, that, um, that has knock-on effects as to what you can and can't do at 10, 12, 13 and so on. If he were to just hypothetically be taken out of the equation completely for a second, then it is amazing how many more options open up. <laughs> yeah, you're right, definitely. You know, if he's nailed on at 12, it almost says, right, we need a big carrying centre at 13 to give us that balance. Um, obviously, he might, he'll captain, he'll take the goal kicking as well. But like I say, you know, there's so many good players in that squad, especially in the centres, you know, Tuolangi, Slade, Marchin, etc. Atkinson is in there as well. So are it you would denying... Make no, it would make no sense to play him at 10 to me, uh, uh, Farrell. I, I just... Because that cuts off... It, it limits... You, know, you, you do, Then you don't have a starting place, you know, for Smith and so on. Then you have to find another 12 to, with another centre combination. And, you know, going... This has been going on for... Well, it's, it's going back to, to very nearly... To the World Cup winning side. I mean, it's nearly a, a two-decade problem of not having a really settled centre partnerships since Tyndall and Greenwood. Yeah. I mean, can <laughs> you name? Well, no, can you? But can you name one? No, no. I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of chopping and changing. It's almost like 
if you could put one name who would be a guaranteed centre start, it might have been Manu, but he's always in and out of the side. So yeah. then you're chopping and changing combinations, trying to figure out who your best who your best players are, and also how you want to play. So again, he's been having to really try and figure that out. Whether Farrell's a twelve and a ten as well, that changes things too. So it'll be really interesting to see, especially with no George Ford in there who the backup 10 is. Is it Farrell goes straight in and he changes that combination or is it someone like George Furbank who comes in? I know he's a fullback, but he has been playing a lot of 10 as well. Is he kind of your third choice with Ford not being in the squad? Uh, Louis Liner uh, was uh, a surprise omission for some, but he's now being called back uh, amidst uh, interest from Australia. Um, overall, what are your impressions and, uh, about his inclusion as well? Overall, happy to, for him to be involved. I, I think he's worked hard enough at his game over the last while and if you look at his performances for Harlequins, rightly, he's in the squad. Do I see him starting? No. I think Radwan, Johnny May are definitely ahead of him. Even probably Max Malins as a wing option as well ahead of him. So he's got competition in there. But if you're thinking long term, one of these guys could go down in the blink of an eye and then he's in there. And would you be happy to see him there? Absolutely. I, I think he's got enough qualities. He's got enough work rate off the ball in particular to keep himself involved. And his kick chase game is good as well. So opportunity there whether we'll see him or not I'm not quite sure Elliot Daly is one of the players that has been a solution to lots of problems but also a problem in the sense that because he can and has played uh, in several positions never really been nailed down um, and therefore you know every time his name comes up is he here is he there what does that do to this combination what does it do to the back three if he plays there what does it do to the centre partnerships um, he's, he's ruled out for a month. We'll be chatting to Freddie Stewart shortly. Um, the 15 spot. What do you do? Is it Stewart? Is it Malins? If it's me, I, I lead Malins. I just, I, I really like his balance as a player. I like how he roams the pitch. I like how he gets involved. I could easily see him playing on the wing as well. I think we've seen him do that very effectively, both for England in the summer and for Saracens. Um, my gut says Stewart will get the call and I've no issue with that as well. I, I think, you know, you look at the size of him, his confidence in the air, um, reminds me of Matt Perry going back, you know, just assured, so, so assured. Anything goes up in the air, you think he's catching that 99% of the time he's catching it. And that's what you want as your last line of defence as well. Doesn't miss many tackles in the backfield either. So... I'm excited about seeing what he can do as well. And I think there's good competition in there between himself, between yeah. Malins, and of course, long-term Anthony Watson when he gets back fit as well. Um, we would go to, well, let's move on from the, 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 the side we'd like to see to just this issue before we talk to, to Freddie. More than anything else, I'd like to see whoever is picked in whatever combinations, them to be given just the t- tilt of the prism from, you know, let's play in this constructed way, you know, to a not to a not to a dictat all the time, but to just free them up yeah. to say, look, there are obvious times when you have to play for territory and don't play in your own red zone. You make the exits as quick as you can, be effective in that. But outside that, let's let's play more heads up. Yeah, has to be the case. You you've picked these players for that specific reason, in that they don't want to be constrained. They want that freedom. So you hope there will be a clear framework in terms of, I guess, certain areas of the pitch. This is what we like to see done. But ultimately, you're the guys out there. Have a look. Look what the defence are doing. Make good decisions. Back your decisions. Trust your skill and your ability to execute. 
and have that freedom to play as well. You know, you, you don't want to be thinking, right, this is what I would normally do instinctively, but this is what I feel I should do because it's been dictated by game plan or coaches. That won't lead to a good England team. It won't lead to good rugby playing full stop. They need to be given that freedom to say, right, OK, this is the game plan, but actually what's happening out on the pitch? This has changed. This is different. There's an opportunity there. Let's go and take it. That is when players, not just not team, that is when players individually are at their best. Because also, as a final comment, if you, it takes time to do this because when you're playing in a certain way, players react, they support in certain lines, they expect you to do certain things, therefore they, they tailor their runs to that sort of thing. If you give players the light to be positive, it takes time for people to understand that, that actually, no, this player in this position won't do that, he'll do this, therefore I need to do something different as well. So... And that is always going to be slightly disjointed when you start because when you're in a position like, say, for example, at club level, Harlequins are now and they expect the unexpected, so to speak, then all their support lines are different. Some of them are cheat lines, but that's the way you get on the ball quickly and, 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 and so on. So if you, if you let that be, be known, it is, you're going to have to stick with it to let players... You know, to let players get that familiarity. Yeah, and that will be the challenge. But this is the period to explore that because, you know, if we take talk about Smith and Farrell, for example, they haven't played ten and twelve together. Owen Farrell has done things a certain way for so long, so he'll now have to adjust to how Marcus Smith plays and vice versa. So there will be that teething problem, not just with those two, with the more established players and the new guys, because they do things differently at all their clubs. They've only been together a short while, but they haven't all played together. So getting that to click is the challenge, but that's the excitement as well because when it does click, it can look really, really good. Really good. Well, we've just been discussing England's new look squad with one of the new players who is looking to make an impression this month is Leicester fullback Freddie Stewart, who I'm delighted to say is joining us now. Hello, Freddie. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm all right, mate. Um, Third year. Is it your final year, economics degree? Is it your finals this year? It is, yeah. Final year this year. I've actually um, split the year in half uh, to manage it around the rugby. So I've got two more, um, but studying my third year now. So it's getting a bit serious. <laughs> well, good on you. Good luck for that. Look, um, uh, how, does it, uh, how does the camp feel compared to the one that you, you had in summer with the USA and Canada? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's been slightly different. I think in, in the summer there were tons and tons of new faces and, and we were all sort of new together, a lot of newbies. Um, so there was a really good feel about that around everyone coming together. Um, and this camp has been similar to that. There's, again, there's a lot of new faces. Um, and then obviously you join the likes of, you know, Owen Farrell, guys like that who are, you know, they've had hundreds of, hundreds of caps, Lenny, um, Ben Youngs. Um, and you get to experience what it's like to, to train and work with them, which has been awesome. Uh, Freddie Topsy here. Uh, so, like you just touched on, obviously a bunch of you made your debuts in the summer. Another four uncapped in this squad. So, has there been a, a key message from Eddie and the coaching staff to you guys about what he's expecting from you, and I guess that balance between you new guys and the older established guys? Yeah, definitely. You know, Eddie talks a lot about opportunity, um, and I think it's been made clear that if that opportunity does arise, then it's about taking that opportunity and trying to, you know, lay down a marker for the future. Um, but he's been very clear that, you know, we need to work hard and train hard and, and then from that, you know, see where that gets us. Um, let's just go into your club form with Leicester. Um, I, in my playing career, suffered at the hand of Leicester, time immemorial. Um, and then, you know, they uh, had a, you know, for them, a disastrous uh, 
decline. And, and funnily enough, without too many additions to the squad, but quite a major overhaul of the management and coaching staff, uh, you've now seven wins out of seven, flying high uh, under Steve Borthwick. Um, what, are, what has been the biggest factor in, your, in, the, in, the, in the resurgence, do you think? I think for me, since Steve come in, since Steve's come in, um, there's just been a massive shift in our mentality. Um, I think the boys this year, particularly, and and I think it was the back end of last year, we start to see it, how much the boys are willing to work um, and go to these dark corners to, to get results. Um, I think you know Steve demands that work, and and the character he is, the boys just want to give everything for him. Um, we've had Kevin Sinfield join us this season, who again is is one of those guys who you don't want to let down. Um, and the boys go to war on the pitch. I think that's been very obvious for everyone this season. But it's the culture as well um, around the club. You know, it's a great place to be at the minute. Um, you know, Steve's got everyone involved from from right all the S&C staff, some office staff over at Welford Road. It's it's all sort of one community, we're all in it together. Um, and I think that's really nice to see. And it's it's just working really well at the minute. Oh, one person flying in your team is George Ford. Uh, how impressive has he been? And were you surprised? that he's not in camp with you at the minute? Yeah, George has been going really well. Um, he's, he's an unbelievable professional um, and it's been a pleasure to play with him over the last year or two. Um, I, was, I was watching the, the Saints game at the weekend and he was, he was phenomenal. Um, yeah, and I'm sure he, he'll be disappointed to miss out, but you know, he, he, he won't be phased by that. He'll continue to work hard and, and, and that's key. Uh, look at it, Elliot Daly will miss this squad of games and the, the 15th position for England has chopped and changed with utility players playing there so on you've got direct competition uh, Max Merlins what do you think uh, your USP is that you can bring? I think for me the USP would, ha- would have to be the high ball stuff I think with the height naturally that, that is something that I find probably easier than, than others um, it's, it's an immediate advantage but it's just been a skill that I've been trying to work on loads um, and for me that security is is what I sort of pride myself on making sure that you know in test rugby when there's these these long box kicks and it's contestable kicks uh, you see South Africa pursue that tactic quite a bit it's just that security winning the ball back back for the team um, and then we could launch our attack. Now then I'm going to ask you this I know what the answer will be probably um, there's the stuff that's been in and around the times and the, the stuff with Eddie Jones and uh, uh, the comments that have been made. I'm, I'm sure you've heard about this. Did it have any effect at all on, on you or the squad? No, no, not at all. Um, I haven't actually read the article, um, but no, it is, you know, we're in camp, um, we're all working hard and that sort of stuff is, is just outside. So no, no focus on that. If you do get your 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 chance, um, the best of luck with that. All, all, you know, the only, the only, it's not for me to give advice, is that uh, when you get there, people expect you suddenly to be a superstar because you're an international player. And actually, all you have to do is do what you do normally at your club level and do it really well because you're doing it at a different level against better players. But that's it. You don't need to change your mindset. Uh, and, I, you know, mate, um, I, I hope you get your chance. I think you deserve a chance. Uh, can I just say thanks for coming on and the best of luck to you, mate. Thanks very much, Brian. Appreciate that, mate. Well, obviously, there are other internationals going on. Wales, another tough task this weekend. Even with their full strength side, they host South Africa. Um, it will be a different battle uh, than the one they faced against New Zealand. Um, can you see them getting anything out of that? 
I'd like to see the team lineups first. Before. Yeah, well, well, he's subject to that, obviously. Before making that call, ah, in some ways, it's a more straightforward, uh, uh, you know, conundrum for them, isn't it? Because they they should know what's coming. Yeah, that's it. You know, huge physical battle, huge aerial battle as well. So, if they get the personnel that they need to deal with it, I can definitely see them getting something out of the game. It's going to be very, very tough. Because again, you know, South Africa have had a break, but they are battle-hardened from the Rugby Championship. That big win over New Zealand as well. So they come in confident, the Lions as well. So come in confident, come in full of form. Yes, a couple of injuries, but their game plan, they know it inside and out. So you know what's coming, they know what's coming. It's just a question of can you stop them? Yeah. Uh, Scotland, they did what they needed to or couldn't do much more against Tonga, but they're now against Australia, whose form... And I, I always say this, you, you, Australia can look bad, and they do look bad sometimes, but I tell you what, come to World Cups, they are never in poor shape. They always find a way, you know, to be competitive. Even if they're not going to challenge, you know, for the final spot and the winner's spot, they, they are never in a position where they are easy. And I think Gregor Townsend will learn a lot about his side out there, because Australia are very pragmatic they are very, very good at making the most of what, what they see in front of them. What that, they're, at, they're at home, which is a big thing for them. Um, it, this, this, to me, is a, is, a, is a really difficult one to call. Yeah, it is. It is. And almost their, their styles, their ethos are actually very similar in terms of how they want to play, how Gregor will want the team to play. We saw that yeah, against the Tonga game. Um, Australia, like you say, they come good when it matters. And see, they had a really tricky period coming into this rugby championship and they're now all of a sudden in a really good place. Of course, now they're missing a couple of players, Quay Cooper in particular, not travelling, but they've got to a place now where they're very confident, happy with the squad, happy with how they're playing and they're a really good team to watch as well. So I think that clash of styles is going to be really good. I think hopefully home advantage should play into Scotland's hands. And the fact that Australia, see, they had the, the game against Japan, which was a bit scratchy, but again, for them, that might have previously been a game they would lose. They won it. So coming to Scotland now, you know, they're thinking this, this is a really big opportunity for them. So uh, it's hard to call either way. I think slight edge for Scotland with home advantage, with their players back as well, Finn Russell coming back, Stuart Hogg coming back. But it's going to be a really close contest. Ireland, well, they host Japan. Japan have been one of the success stories in the, in the, in the, in the past decade. I have a lot, a lot of time um, for Japan, the way they you know, play their efforts to grow the game uh, as well. Um, do you expect them to be able to replicate their form away from home? Because Ireland at home are usually a pretty safe bet. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, so I was, when Japan played Ireland in the summer, I was there watching that game and... I know it was uh, the island team was slightly different, but Japan were brilliant, as they have been in recent years. You know, really effervescent, some lovely attacking play. I think the key for them will be understanding where, because their game plan is so attack-minded. So, you know, they want to move the ball. They want to keep the tempo quick. But there are occasions in games where they do maybe just need to be a bit more pragmatic to get themselves out of trouble, to get momentum back in the game. And Ireland, when they need to, will go back to kick chase. They'll kick off nine, they'll kick off ten, they'll use that pressure game to work their way up the pitch. So if they can get that balance right, 
then they're in with a shout. I think Ireland at home again, Aviva, will probably be too strong. But I can easily see Japan turning up and making it a real interesting contest. Well, let's hope it is that, and let's hope it is competitive. Uh, France taking Argentina. Argentina at the moment are not in the best of recent form. Um, but they're still, uh, you know, a side that is battle hardened in the sense that you know they are competing, you know, with the the big three in the Southern Hemisphere. So they've got that experience and so on. Sean Fitzpatrick told us last week he he said the French were favourites for the World Cup. Now um, that can be shown just trying to push the uh, <laughs> the focus away from job, from the, from his Kiwi mates. But undoubtedly, France at home with the sort of squad that they are developing, the promise that they've shown will be there or thereabouts, I'm absolutely certain uh, about that. And I will be very interested to see how they go in their set of autumn fixtures. Yeah, this is a big autumn for them. Uh, are they favourites? No. <laughs> but I could probably say they'd be maybe joint third, fourth, behind kind of New Zealand, South Africa, and maybe on a par with England. Home advantage is going to be huge for them. Um, and this is exciting time. You know, France are back to where we want to see them in terms of how they're playing, in terms of their squad, the profile, as well as their players. So there's a real opportunity for them this autumn to build up some huge momentum ahead of the World Cup, to take on Argentina, that big game against New Zealand as well, and really see where they're at. Is this resurgence, is it the real deal? Or do they still have, you know, a few steps to go? Let's turn to the women's game. The Red Roses, seven tries, record victory against world champions New Zealand. That meant they retained their world number one ranking. I was there, co-com to the BBC on that. Really enjoyed it. Unexpected, certainly to that degree. Um, How much of a question was it of the All Blacks being undercooked? England played 14 tests unbeaten in the two years where New Zealand didn't play. Or was it that England just were very, very good? More of the latter, I'd say. I think uh, England were brilliant. Uh, Physical, there was tempo in their game, there was accuracy in their skill set as well. Um, And I guess the pleasing thing is they actually have a lot of more levels to go to. They missed a lot of chances, some decisions which I thought early on, oh, is that going to come back to bite them? There was this uh, penalty right in front of the sticks early on that they went to the corner, didn't score. New Zealand ended up the other side of the pitch and nearly scored themselves. But overall, brilliant start, great performance. Um, and he, despite the fact New Zealand not playing, you know, they, they had lots of people missing, they're new players they're trying to blood as well. It's a rivalry between one and two. And you make a statement and then you look to do that again the following week. So for England, perfect start. And it bodes well going forward. Of course, New Zealand will get better. They'll get stronger. They'll get more players back. So in a year's time, things will look completely different. But if you're the number one, you stamp your authority as the number one, and they certainly did that. This just shows uh, that you don't know from the outside what is going on in camp or how to assess players as anywhere with anywhere near the degree of accuracy that, that coaches should do who are working with them. Because from the outside, to move Poppy Cleal from where she is very influential at eight to lock, um, which she's played before but not familiar, and to try and cover Emily Scarrett's absence at outside centre with um, with Holly Aitchison, they were gambles. The 13 channel, as you know, is a really difficult position to play in because you are pulled constantly with the decisions of do you step in 
and leave the winger and potentially the fullback with a lot of space outside you. If you do, you've got to hit the person or do you stop the pass or do you drift, which means your opposite number might be able to run at your inside shoulder. It's constantly there. And Holly Hutchinson hadn't played there since she played for the England in the 20s, not played the last four years. And yet that decision was absolutely the right one. Not only did she, she get that largely right, but the extra skills sets that she brought there, being a, a 10 and distributor and kicking and so on, you saw, and the eye for the gap being a sevens player, you saw that fully come to fruition. So uh, it's ple- you know, I was, I was really pleased with Simon Middleton that he uh, you know, had the, the, um, the courage to make those calls and, and, and that they came off. Now, going forward, the, in my opinion, they should win this, the, the next test against New Zealand. I think the, the gap was such there. I don't think the Kiwis can recover it. Undoubtedly, be closer. How important is it that they also that they back this up with another win? Oh, it's huge. It's huge because if we look in the wider context of the World Cup next year, you almost which, say, well, which by the way, just remind people is yes. in New Zealand. Yes, it's away in New Zealand, so circumstances will be very different. But you almost send a message that this is how far ahead we are of you at this moment in time. And yes, home World Cup and all that, but you've got too much work to do to catch up with us. And for England, it will be, can we be ruthless enough to go up another level against the same opposition? Yes, they'll make, they might improve and make adjustments, but how much better can we be? How many more opportunities can we take so that when you're in New Zealand in a year's time, that gap is still as big as it might be right now. I, I think that's the message, you know, it gives you not just performance confidence, but mental confidence as well in terms of we've done this at home, we can do this anywhere in the world, doesn't matter if they're the home team. Well, the great thing about the uh, performance by Aitchison was that Emily Scout is going to come back in provided she's fit, you know, again, and she's on the form that she's been because, you know, she's a huge points accumulator, very strong presence, a leader and so on. But it does give... Um, some little options to say, well, if, if things are going wrong, perhaps we, we can try this, move things about. Zoe Harrison, and this was a big uh, plus for me. She was given, I think, rightly the man of, uh, the woman of the match and uh, England have needed to nail down a long-term replacement for Katie Daly-McLean. Do you see her being that? I do, yes, definitely. I, I think, you know... The Six Nations was a bit of chop and change. Is it Zoe? Is it Helena? Is it Meg Jones? I think this was a brilliant all-round performance from Zoe Harrison in terms of her composure, um, to her skill set, like her passing, her flat passing to the line, whether it's hitting the forward pods in the middle or linking with the backs, was just brilliant. And the final try as well, I know she got the assisting pass, but that was actually my favourite try. Just that actually that balance between the two of them, between Helena and between Zoe Harrison to go over. So I think she's now established herself as the number one fly half. Um, you know, I, I think it would be interesting because when, 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 if and when Emily Scarlett comes back and Holly H is and he's then vying for a 10 or 12, you've got depth competition, which is obviously uh, you know, a headache for the, but the right one for the coaches and you know the players will have to go head to head yeah you do and this is I guess the great thing for Simon Middleton and you almost want it that say when Emily Scarrett does get back fit she has to really fight for her spot in the team and almost to say actually this is Holly Aitchison's spot now she has nailed this 13 jersey down we found a way to cope without you so you almost now have to prove that we absolutely still need you and we know how world class Emily Scarrett is but that's almost what you want you don't want to rely that we have to have these players to win. So it's a great place to be in. 
Uh, I, I've watched for a long time, and I've watched a lot of games between England women and New Zealand, and in nearly every game I can remember, the Kiwis have been better kickers. They've kicked better out of hand. They've been longer. They've been more accurate. Wasn't the case this time. They were they were miles behind England in the kicking game. Yeah, they were in the kicking game physically as well. Again, I, I was surprised to see almost the disparity between the two sides. You know, I think you know the Black Ferns obviously pride themselves on that physicality, but I think England definitely had the upper hand uh, in the loose, in the breakdown, and definitely in the set piece. Like England's more was really rocking and rolling in those early stages and probably should have come away with more points than they did. So it is a brilliant start for England. Um, and you just need to keep imposing that as well. Like the more that almost become habit, it becomes harder and harder for New Zealand and all the other teams to really close that gap. Let's also give uh, a shout out to Lewis Deacon, who's a relatively uh, new addition to the coaching staff. And it does sometimes, it is very beneficial to have a new set of eyes in and give you that. Uh, a lot of experience, and um, his influence was certainly there, both in the line-out and the scrums, and what was really impressive for me about the scrummaging was it was both sets. It was the starting trio and the replacement trio that did the did the work and, and got on top of New Zealand. Yeah, and that's what you want as a forwards coach. I mean, I think Sarah Hunter said afterwards almost that like, she said they'd lost their identity as a pack, so you get someone like Lewis Deacon in, Leicester, born, like, loves... That nitty-gritty stuff as a forward, and you could see that translate into the pitch. And then it gets to 50, 60 minutes, you start changing your front row, start making subs, and there's no let-up. And that's what you want. So you'll be very pleased with the initial hit-out, but we'll still know that they could probably get more change for what they're doing. You know, I, I think, again, there were a couple of malls that went missing, so they can really still impose themselves in that area. Just finally on this point, um, the massive boost for the Women's World Cup bid in midweek when Rishi Sunak confirmed that government will provide £30 million of funding for the bid. Uh, cheapest chips compared with £22 billion wasted on a test and trust system that didn't work, so there you go. Uh, look, how great would it be to see the, the, the World Cup on home soil? I'd be brilliant. It'd be absolutely brilliant. And yesterday was almost maybe a snippet of what's possible. You know, just short of 10,000 in there. If you think of stadiums up and down the country, you could sell a lot of them out. Because I I think, genuinely, if they do get that World Cup and they've got a chance to plan it, if the England women's game keeps developing in the way that we hope it will and the audience appreciation grows and its popularity grows, I think there is a chance at decent-sized venues to sell out the pool games and to sell out a final, you know, at Twickenham, which would be a huge uh, step forward, and and for the players to to be able to appear if they were to get there to the final, you know, in front of you know an eighty two thousand crowd would be a huge statement. Yeah, that would be massive, absolutely massive. And like, so you look where the women's game is now. You look at yesterday on BBC in front of millions watching at home decent sized crowds at Exeter you could definitely mirror that up and down the country with bigger crowds and if you think if we got that that's something huge to aim for so a lot of building blocks can be put in place you can grow generate that momentum and you could almost picture it now the atmosphere it would build you know girls boys up and down the country this big world cup coming to town I think it would be brilliant well that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's full contact with the Telegraph huge thank you to my co-host for stepping up once again, Topsy Ojo, and to the England fullback, Freddie Stewart, for joining me. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous episodes by subscribing or registering to the full contact podcast channel. It's free. And it's a reminder that I'll be here throughout the autumn series and beyond. We're back next week alongside former England centre Tom May to reflect on England's opening autumn international against Tonga, as well as all the other games. But until then, it's goodbye. Goodbye.